This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, heroes, uh, welcome to Behind the Sales, or this isn't. I really want this to be clear. This is not All My Fantasy Skyjacks. All My Fantasy Skyjacks requires all of the original ingredients. If we don't have all of them, at least, we do not have a quorum. We cannot access the brand. Uh, so now I want to introduce to you my guests, and that uh, they are Aaron Catano Saez. Aaron. Hello, it is I, Aaron Katanasayez, one of the senior wizards responsible for the greatest and only world-building and tabletop-inspired character creation podcast, All My Fantasy Children. Hello, world. Yeah, and I really want to point out that Aaron is not here in his capacity as a senior wizard. No. We cannot emphasize that enough. No, I uh, will get sued by Jeff, and I will not do that. Please don't do this to me. Listeners, know that you are not listening to all my fantasy skyjacks. Please, unless you're ready to pay these legal bills. Which, again, Jeff will bring a suit. Litigation <laughs> will be in our future, and we can't handle that. Not we right now. We don't have Jeff Stormer money. No. Um, Aaron, you, you have mentioned, of course, All My Fantasy Children, which which is on the One Shot Network and, and a delightful show. Where else might the audience know you from? You might also know me from Skyjack's Courier's Call, where I play Cecilia Whitwick, the all-ages spinoff of campaign Skyjack's, about 14-year-olds, their secret inner powers, and their obsession with Lumen lore. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um. And, of course, uh, joining us is Drew Merzieski. Drew, welcome to the show. Thank you, James. Hello, whatever friends. whatever this is. Or what, what, <laughs> I don't know that I could call this the show. The this show. Is it is a unique experience. A thing. The show. <laughs> welcome to Welcome the to thing. a thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hi, hi. Uh, Drew... Drew, where where might folks recognize you from? Oh, uh, you might recognize me from such things as Skyjack's Courier's Call, uh, where I'm your host and narrator. Um, uh, I do lots of voices, and you might uh, also know me from... I I think that's it, really. That's the most high-profile thing I do, so... Well, yes, if, if you want to support Drew's work, please, please go out and listen to Courier's Call. We want to get a lot of stuff in and we want to do it very quickly. So I'm going to move us into our topic of discussion for today. Uh, there were a lot of really wonderful suggestions about things that we could talk to on potential episodes of All My Fantasy Skyjacks that we received through Twitter. However, this isn't All My Fantasy Skyjacks. We are still using those suggestions though again cannot make it clear enough we cannot handle this legal suit no please do not think of this in your heart as all my fantasy skyjacks because if you do jeff will know begging you um so this one comes to us from at thoma rama and it is where is necromancy taught slash learned what are specific rules and taboos around it in Skyjack culture or in the universities around Sphere? I don't think we've heard much about Dref since he passed away, and I'd love more stories. Thanks. 
So yeah, necromancy is a really, really juicy topic, one that I am very excited to dive into. And uh, in uh, the the past with these things, I'll, I'll lay down like a couple things that, that we know already based on what we've established in fiction. It's that there is, at least in the rediscovered world, which is the portion of sphere where the red feathers are in control that is within red feather trade networks, that necromancy is treated as an extremely taboo thing. Uh, now, this is partially due to the influence of the Church of the Slain God. Um, and it, it might be uh, due to a little bit like certain regional folklore uh, that the people have in the major cities that have been connected to the rediscovered world. Regardless, if there is a place that is heavily influenced by either the church or the Red Feathers, it is likely that necromancy is going to be treated as a taboo subject. The other thing that we need to keep in mind about Sphere at all times is that Sphere is a post-calamity world where people lost contact and cultures lost contact with each other um, due to, you know, the events that followed the stars falling, uh, which means that culture is very insular in a lot of places. Like uh, people were able to develop cultural beliefs in real microcosms, a single town that might just be 20 miles away from the next location will look extremely different because it went through a, a period full of scarcity and hardship uh, where it was disconnected from everyone else uh, for, you know, close to, if not more than a hundred years. So a lot can happen in that time. Uh, there's, there's a lot of cultural shift. And some of these places that are outside of the rediscovered world have been cut off from other places for 200 years. So there's a lot of movement that can happen there. Uh, within the rediscovered world, because necromancy is so taboo, the simple answer that I would have is that, well, necromancy isn't really formally learned or taught in a university setting uh, that we would think of for magic in other places in the world or other kinds of magic. Now, Dreff specifically did learn necromancy when he was studying medicine at a school that was operated by the Church of the Slain God, uh, specifically because his professor believed in studying taboo things and practiced the art of necromancy very secretly. Um, so, you know, th that that is one way to answer this question. The other thing that I'll throw out there before we go any further is that uh, because we're an anti-colonial setting and one that wants to challenge a lot of I think commonplace beliefs uh, that, that surround different things. Uh, necromancy is something that I, as the GM and my, my role as storyteller in the show, I never treat it as something that is inherently bad or evil, like any kind of magic. It can be used in all sorts of applications. And I think Dref really embodied that concept and that idea in that Dreff used necromancy to heal people and was using necromancy as part of like revolutionary uh, medical treatment. There was nothing bad or corruptive about him using that magic. Um, there's nothing bad or corruptive about what happened to Oromar, uh, magically speaking, or uh, what happened to Wendell with Wendell's arm, that there isn't like a dark thing looming over us, anything more than the, you know, emotional revelation of necromancy was used on on me and, and what fallout that could have. Um, 
So there are a lot of ways to answer this question, and we have room to make up a couple different things. Uh, so I, I want to hear, uh, did anybody, uh, was anybody struck with any ideas that they wanted to share? Yes. I have a question for you. And in Sphere, where do you go when you die? And I follow that up with, be ah. because... I always think of necromancy as this really unique thing because we always think of like raising the dead and various fictions have a certain level of, you know, if it's just a skeleton that can perform a simple task or you bring a full human back to life with full memories, their brain is essentially then restored with their memories intact and their personality. So is it the mending of tissue or is it like you pluck them from the afterlife, place them back in their shell and restore them to who they were? This is such a great question because it allows us to talk a little bit more about the nuance of magic and sphere mm -hmm. in that necromancy is kind of a broad term that is covering a lot of different forms of magic. Uh, what Dref was doing with Captain Oromar in, you know, preserving Oromar's body and helping it walk around basically by programming uh, magical response inputs to the various muscle and nerve and organ systems in Oromar's body to create like the illusion of life uh, that is considered necromancy as is uh, what Dref did in bonding or as is what Oromar did in bonding his own spirit to his body. Um, that is also necromancy, but those are two completely different things. Uh, Dref in moving that body around was really just using magical energy to supplant like basic biological functions. Um, uh, you know, it, using a dead body that way, like it's not too much different from like computer programming or very sophisticated puppetry in a way. You're using a thing that has all these systems to move and you're using magic to be the force that allows it to move. Um, yeah. Whereas spiritual necromancy that would involve like a person and their soul and what happens to their spirit after they die is its own other thing that could technically be considered a completely different type of magic. But uh, for taboo purposes, it is considered necromancy. Interesting. Because one is, honestly, it's I think of it uh, almost as if pumping electrical you know, signals into tissue and moving it. You know, it's more akin to like a science or like medicine. But using the conduit instead of electricity, using magic, where the other one is vastly broad and fascinating about like, where where does someone go? Like you said, like uh, it's kind of like returning them to their physical form. You know, like Ormar bound his spirit to his body. Where was he? <laughs> so this, uh, yeah, th this covers something that like we're we're kind of addressing on the show right now. Mm -hmm. In that, when a person dies, their spiritual form separates from their body. And most people uh, move on to something uh, that we have colloquially referred to as the river. Um, that's that's a thing that we we owe Dref for. In that, the the river is like kind of a spiritual plane that is notably more separate from the physical world, and a spirit that is between the physical world and that and the the river is able to you know operate kind of like a ghost like 
you know, maybe exert spiritual energy to move things around, haunt things, possess things in, in ways that we think a ghost might be able to do. Um, but there is this uh, place that, that is farther out called the river, which is a, a much larger separation. And in order to draw a spirit back from the river, it takes uh, some really careful magical practice. We saw Margaret do this a little bit with Dreth, even though he hadn't been fully committed to the river. Margaret is familiar with magical practices that allow her to call out to souls in the river and contact them. Uh, it, it's very difficult. It requires a lot of power. It's not always guaranteed to work, but it can happen. Uh, the other thing to be aware of is there is the cutting stone which is an entity or entities that exist uh, between the spiritual plane of the river and our own uh, that go around and work to commit souls to the river, to pull them into that spiritual plane, uh, possibly by force. Um, anyone who has escaped death, who has died and not died, is a target for the cutting stone. I think that covers most of it. Uh, we, we do know from Dref that like a spirit that is disconnected from its body struggles to retain its memories and, and sense of self. Um, Dref only has his heart remaining uh, and therefore he was like really disconnected from his former self um, and being in the, the world of the dead and existing spiritually at all, it is very difficult to maintain who you are. And that's one of the things that Oromar managed to do, which was so impressive. Um, is that associated yeah. with the amount of body you have left? Because uh, you were... I, I think it varies. I, I think that that is a factor of it. One of the things that we also learned uh, from this most recent episode, that until your body is committed to a burial practice, your soul does not move on from the river. Mm. Um, so it might mean that the cutting stone uh, in some way, shape or form, one of their major roles is for people, you know, who die on some mountain somewhere and don't manage to get uh, a burial proper properly like that they can somehow move on to the river in in some way uh without people having to see to their body but but yeah like we we do know that the two crew members who were struck down um uh, in the battle with uh the silver bullet like their spirits sort of remained around and and would remain around in that fight in a way that Oromar could see until they had been addressed by the 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 burial ceremony mm -hmm. that I don't know if it's in today's episode because I haven't had a chance to listen to it. Is it uh, something that... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. I was <clears> just going to say, I don't think it is. I just listened to it. I, I can't remember if it's... No, if, I, don't, I don't think that's part of it. If passing into the river is tied to, like you said, a burial tradition, yes? Mm -hmm. And yes. therefore, like, there is a magic tied to tradition and things like that, yes? Yes. Could you manipulate then... Someone could manipulate someone not passing into the river by not performing rituals upon them and intentionally not letting them pass on to the river. Could you do Absolutely. that? Absolutely, yes. That is what, that was what makes me think of like, you know, high fantasy necromancy where it's like, you know, I have my army of the undead kind of, but not really. But you could basically deny access to the river by making sure that there is no tradition tied to the death that they do just die. And I put in air quotes like alone on a mountain that there is no like rights or whatever that region or culture does in order to is there magic tied to passing when someone dies moving there's basically the tradition pushes them into the river for lack of a better image you know what i mean is that what it's tied I, I, to i i think um that 
most burial traditions, most funerary traditions around sphere are related to that, even if it's not consciously. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, burying someone and, and having a funeral like would move someone to the river. Burning their body in, in a cremation or, or other kind of ceremony would also move them to the river. Um, cool. You know, offering someone a chance to rest. Yes. But some kind of uh, uh, personal attachment, some kind of effort or endeavor that involves a ceremony, a, uh, a sacrament, a rite of passage, whatever you want to call it, a tradition, that is what basically goes, off you go, you know, send, ascending off, as long as that is yes. done. Cool. Yes. And, right. and and that that works in most cases. I, I will point out that we have seen a few things like in uh, Sweet Lily Braves the River. We, we've seen a case where because a soul was bound to another person um, uh, through through love and their connection through the union, uh, that soul was not able to to move on into the river proper mm -hmm. until that love was like fulfilled and addressed. So, you know, even if you do have uh, well i guess in that case because they fell out of an airship maybe they didn't get proper burial but I, I will say just generally speaking even if you do have a proper burial there is a chance that you might have an anchor into the world of the living that doesn't allow you to pass on hmm. which would you know fit the shape of most ghost stories yeah. of having unfinished yeah. business so so could it then be that there to be a necromancer possibly if you want to have like oh an army of the undead uh you would just make sure people aren't pushed forward uh, I, I think there could be a long form ceremony that that involves that. Like you know, it would it would have to be something where you a body dies, you somehow shield it from the cutting stone, and preserve the body so that you know there is as much of an anchor for that spirit as possible. And it would be very, very slow work. I, I think one of the things that was kind of a breakthrough for Dref with, with Oromar is he managed to do a something like that very similarly. Um, I, I think probably whatever ceremony uh, Dref was learning from his mentor or, or studying alongside his mentor probably had like this, you know, far-flung culture that, that that has this tradition of, of being allowing a spirit to inhabit it, its dead body, but that taking a lot of time. So the thing that Dref and Oromar ultimately were missing were methods for Oromar to control his own body. Mm. And instead, Dref had to set up like, you know, this alternate like medical necromancy computer system to allow the body to move, which is now we know uh, the method that Oromar uses to control his body. Do you think that's that's uh, specific to Dref? Is Dref the first one to kind of do that? Is that like the Dref method? <clears throat> I, I will say that, uh, yes, that is that is a innovation that is unique to Dref, because in whatever ceremony they were studying, which, you know, is probably something that was written about pre the fall of the stars um, in some way, uh, like the, the tradition was very different. And these are methods that uh, Dref and his mentor developed uh, before or like outside, like trying to ape the success of those traditions in their own format. So like, you know, when Oromar was suddenly and violently killed, uh, Dref like attended to him medically. And, and when he passed away, he then used his necromantic abilities to allow the Oromar's body to be preserved and uh, allow Oromar to like 
anchor himself to his body and, you know, therefore his work and mission. <clears throat> I have a question, and it's a big one. Um, what do you think the origin of this uh, school of magic is in the world, whether it's a myth or whether it's a fact? Like, if it's a tradition and there are rules, you know, and taboos, how far back does this go? Like the beginning of time, you know, the discovery of magic and things like that? Or is this fairly fresh? I I think um, that necromancy is widespread because, again, the thing that people call necromancy means so many different things. It, it is the, the church and the Red Feathers have decided mm, what necromancy mm. is. They've just, like, taken a bunch of random things. Because, like... Uh, the church uses spiritual like and magical healing methods like that's the medical school that Dref went to was one that taught like scientific, uh, you know, doctoral arts and also uh, using divine magic for healing purposes. Uh, if you use divine magic on a living person, that's healing magic that's condoned by the church. If you start using that on a dead person, that's necromancy and it's forbidden by the church, even though it's literally the same thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the origin of a lot of necromantic stuff is from cultures that either, you know, we we encountered before the stars fell or, or still exist in some way and, and haven't been rediscovered. Uh, it's just like different people's cultural practices would be called necromancy. Yeah, I like that a lot. I like the fact that it's this broad term to describe restoration magic in some degree. Like you said, you could call it, you know, if you once you start practicing healing magic on a dead person, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, 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 you've entered necromancy territory. You're like, am I, though? Am mm -hmm. I, though? Because it just sounds like in name it is necromancy. But otherwise, I could totally see this being like something you do if someone, like, you know, a culture doing it. If someone is wrongfully killed or needs, we need this person so bad. Bring that MFR back because, you know, why not? There's no taboo. There's no social, like, there's no societal bullshit around. Can I curse? I don't remember. Yeah, the, the, we can curse. I we forgot because it's been is, a while. Skyjacks, Skyjacks. I, have, I have Courier's Call brain on. but uh, This with... is Grown Up Skyjacks <laughs> and also we're talking about necromancy. Yeah, that's also so true. Think... That's also true. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But, uh, yeah, I'd like to think of, like, a part of the world where it's just something where it's not seen as, you know, we like to think of necromancy as, like, oh, no, that's wrong. Let that person rest. I like to think of the culture that's like, no, bring that motherfucker back. We need a carpenter. We, we got yeah. houses to build. He's got to pass on that knowledge before he can go. Yes. Yes. Like okay. 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 This is good, Aaron. This is very good. Let's make that part of the world right now. Cause I was thinking about like, while you were talking about the, the concept of anchors and like creating an anchor intentionally, and also the many different cultures around uh, the world where I, I 
do I'm going to say this term, uh, but also point out that I, I don't like this term. I just don't know another way to say it. Uh, some anthropologists c call it uh, ancestor worship. Mm -hmm. uh, but what, what it is, is the idea that like you through some spiritual means uh, are connected to loved ones who have passed on. Um, and, you know, because we're in a magical world like uh, that can be. Uh, feel a lot more practical. Um, so the idea of like perhaps uh, with like a statue or something, part of your funeral ritual is to create a uh, bond between your ancestor, your, your loved one who has passed on their spirit and this totem so that like on a holiday or something like that, you can perform a ceremony and literally speak to their spirit. Like you have invented beauty and the beast. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but I, I really like that a lot. It, it, it evokes kind of like not haunted objects, but more of a, a kind of like a telephone to communicate with a lost, a lost person or a loved one. Right. Yeah, I think of it like sort of Day of the Dead ah. or Jian, Jian Shim told me about a, a, a Korean practice where, where like you cook a meal and sit with with your uh, lost loved ones. Uh, yeah, so the, the, like those two sort of cultural celebrations are like kind of getting at the idea that like there is a day or a time during the year where your ancestors are more present uh, in, in a spiritual form that, than normal and that there is more direct interaction of like they, they are not gone. Um, they, they are here. And I like the idea of in sphere, like a culture having that same belief, but also like we know a way that magically establishes a connection for this spirit that allows this whole ceremony to work so that, you know, families can have huge collections of, of whatever this object is that are like literally just different family members. And at least once a year, you get the opportunity to like commune with them and talk to them if you go through the right ceremonial you know, whatever. I like mm. it a lot. It evokes the image of me in the real world where we like, you know, you dedicate a bench to your grandfather who loved sitting at this bridge and looking out at the water. In this case, it's like sit on that bridge the right time with the right channeling chat time, hang out. You know what I mean? Like reconnection. Is that where we're going here? Oh, That's yeah. what you mean? Like, yeah. Like, so I'm imagining this in this area, this region, this community, there are things that are like, we think of them as memorials, like the, you know, the Aaron Memorial baseball field, you know, because I used to go play there as a kid and blah, 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 blah. This would be like, no. And on the day or whenever, when the, when the magic is right and the weather is good, you, that's where you'll find me. You'll find me there. Not like, you know, my essence and this and that. You're like, I will be able to be there. You can communicate with me. And then I don't know at the, the strike of midnight, whew, off I go like Cinderella. Maybe. Yeah, I want to I, I want to <laughs> marry I want to marry a couple of concepts together here because because I talked about the idea of like a, a statue or totem yep. that like through the funerary ritual you create a connection to. Mm -hmm. But I love Aaron's idea of like there also being an element of, of place to this. Yeah. 
And I also love that, you know, for for different cultural traditions that we have in our world, that that it is common to provide, you know, some kind of offering for for mm. someone who has passed on, like, you know, whether that be flowers on a grave or, you know, something more specific and personal, like a lot of cultures do food or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that made me think of like the idea that, you know, as long as you are remembered, as long as you are loved, you are not really gone. Oof, so yes. what this I think what the like just having the totem, that's not enough. And like, yes, there is a ceremony that is supposed to draw the spirit forth. But I think almost that isn't enough either. What you need is to have known, like have enough attention and care to a person and their life to know to go, this is the location that they would want to be, you know, uh, like called to. This is the offering that they would want to receive because all of those powers reflect personal connections between you and that other person, which I think, in my opinion, should be enough like magical strength to call someone out of the river so that you can do something like talk. Totally. You've described uh, story, tradition, love, and all that stuff that are literal sources or, you know, or fuel for magical energy. If there's enough of it, I guess, couldn't you, I guess, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, crane game somebody out of the river even for a minute? You know, if there's enough love attached to this totem, the tradition of making it, you know, tied with the story of that person and, you know, the thing that linked them to this world and their their life experience on it, that over generations and, you know, crystallized over time, could I feel like make, and I feel like that would tie into also the idea of not letting people's stories fade or die, you know? Yeah, yeah. Be- I, I, the, the, which which also like it, it suggests like if you are part of this culture there's a tremendous amount of pressure on like okay today if i want to talk to grandpa and dad i have to like hoof it between the lake and the mountain yeah. um to like set up my, my ceremonies to talk to them uh i i think it puts a lot of intentional thing of like well who do you want to sit with who do you need to sit with um you know and like i, I think the less anchor that that you have to someone the less need you you have mm. to like seek them out i feel like there are always going to be people loved ones in our lives who have passed on um and who we, you know, will will always need to talk to someone. So you're always participating in this somehow. Um, but you kind of get to choose how you're going to do that. Yeah. And it, it's something interesting. Drew, I have a question for you. Because sure. we do a lot of talking to ghosts on Courier's Call. We do. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, when, uh, and I don't know when this is going to come out compared to when we talk to ghosts on our show. That's off mic. Uh, mm-hmm. Is this going to come out soon? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly when. But okay. either but way, it'll be fine. We, we talk to a lot of ghosts on Carrier's Call, and some of them have done things to intervene with the real world. Is that kind of in this way, like Cece's Candle, for example, is like, a form of a totem that ties her grandmother to this world somehow through, like you said, like you've told me before through the ritual that was made, making it the love that's for Cece and the story of, you know, all the stuff that I've know about her and all the things that she said and put out in the world. Could that keep her tied to Cece slash sphere? Like, is that an example? 
I I would say so. And I mean, James, you can jump in and... and... Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And it might not even be an intentional thing. Mm. She just made a candle because she loves Cece. Mm. Uh, You know, she just loves Cece, so there might be an anchor in Cece. Like... Uh, do, 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 isn't there also a journal in yeah. question too? There's there's or, a map, yeah. and then map. Uh, uh, like Kieran has a bone whistle that can. There, there's t- also talk like to tradition to it because when when Cece left on the Audra in the very beginning, Cece's mom gave the candle and said, uh, "Granny always said carry a candle on a journey." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, wow. So I'm and, I'm I'm loving this marrying everything together too. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I, it, it feels like it's not one thing. It's no. a lot of things. Yeah. And and the more of those things that you have, like I feel like the the more effects. Like it doesn't surprise me that that Cece's grandma can have a physical effect on the world with all of these anchors yeah. like moving around. It's a Jeff Stormer has a logic about haunted houses where if you put enough haunted objects in a house, does that make it a haunted house? I feel like if the more totems or items that you carry that have something attached, a person attached to it, does that make them like there's a higher probability of them leaving the river or being able to, you know what I mean? Like the more story, the more tradition, the more love bound to stuff, does that make it more likely that they can, I don't want to use the term crossover, but like step out and, you know, Okay, there, there's a lot of good stuff. Like, I, I would say yes for for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is because that makes a compelling story. Mm-hmm. The, the idea, mm-hmm. like, somebody can tell themselves a story, well, I have all of these things, therefore that's giving me a much stronger connection, that magically does open the possibility of, like, well, just the story alone there is, is going to be enough to, like, uh, provide some sort of gateway. But you also, Aaron, you, you beautiful child, you, you've inspired me. <laughs> With another thing, this culture that that has this tradition of like a day where you can talk to uh, ancestors and lost loved ones, there's there's another wrinkle to it in that there must be a component holiday where you specifically try to create strong memories and bonds to your world and the people in it to make it easier to contact you when you have passed on. Mm, so like it's 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 not just day of the dead it's like a grim Valentine's Day. It's one day I will die, but we are going to focus on the love between us today. And that way, when I do die, you are going to know how to contact me if you need me. Oh, yeah. Like there's something made on that day. Like hmm. it maybe it might even just be a memory. Yeah. I love it. I love this idea of like you are dropping an anchor into your reality to like, please do not forget me. Do not let me just become a a faceless ghoul in the river that no one because basically that means if you're forgotten or if you didn't make strong connections in your life, you can't come back because you didn't leave anything behind in terms of relationships, love, story, tradition, things like that, that are kind of the placeholders or like, uh, you know, in mountain climbing, when they stab that little thing in, they hammer it in and it lets them not yeah. fall. It's kind of leaving one of those behind so that you have a little tether to you. To no- If nothing's tethering you to the world in terms of other people and your story and their love for you and their appreciation, you're just gone. And that's tragic. And that's also terrifying. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I think there are a lot of ways to look at it. One can be a very, like, tragic and kind of moralistic thing. Like, if your great-great-great-great-grandfather was not a cool person and people didn't want to tell stories about him— you're only going to be able to interact with him for a couple generations because at a certain point, everybody's like, hey, does anybody know who this totem belongs to? Like, and they're like, oh, Chuck. I think that was grandpa, whatever. <laughs> it's like, does anybody know or care? Does anybody remember any cool stories about him? <laughs> we don't even know how to use this if we wanted to. Toss it out. Okay, that is fascinating because uh, I like the idea of a tradition to actually, you, you said use the totem, which means mm-hmm. is there a tradition, uh, a specific ritual tied to each totem that you then have to it's not enough to just keep the story alive you also have to keep like the activation phrase or the ritual attached to bringing a person into this like you need to you need to know that like in order to talk to grandpa jorge we have to go to this specific apple tree and he liked and he liked to drink this specific beer so if we've got those things, like that is, you know, whatever ritual or offering. So you need the totem, you need to know what to give them, and you need to know where to be. And if all of those things are in place, like that's your best shot at calling someone from the river, um, you might reach a point where it's so far removed uh, that the, the person is never able to, to come back. Or, you know, maybe you've done something like chronicled your family's history or written down specific stories. And there are, might be a couple generations where people don't really get it or feel a connection. But like, I don't know if anybody has like studied a family history and felt like a real connection to an ancestor. I I have it because my family, like being uh, uh, poor Italian and Irish uh, folks, we sort of threw off a lot of our cultural ties. But like there are definitely people that I have met who are like, oh, yeah, my my ancestor did this. And they have a very clear idea of who that person is. I like to imagine that that. At like writing down the story and being affected by the story might be enough for you to then go out and com- complete the rest of the ritual with the other things. But yeah, like you can also fade from being important from your family enough uh, that people can't call to you anymore or, you know, that like we don't even know how two way it is. It might be that like. A, a ghost can hear the call and just be like, "Nah, I'm good. I don't need to. I don't need to go back." Uh, no thanks. Nah, I never liked you anyway. Um, I, I guess that yeah. would also mean that journaling in this culture could be really important. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Your own personal history, uh, and by having writing down your stories and having people read your stories, and uh, <laughs> the idea of like, I've written a small play about this moment. Uh, you may act it out. Uh, so you may understand how this was um, or like that sort of family history genealogy that's very tangible and written down. Um, uh, I, I I say that mostly because my, my own family, we, my family's crazy for family history. Like I, we go, I know my ancestors all the way back to like this, like the revolutionary war. Um, and at my grandmother's house, there are just stacks and stacks and stacks of journals and pieces of paper and memorabilia, just so much. Uh, and having all that gives you – and, like, photos from, like, this is Grandpa Brigham Lewis Tippis. He was 
so-and-so and they lived here and this is a picture of him and this is when he was five and this is when he was 10 and like we have all that that information and so by having that kind of tangible sense and that very clear picture seems like it, it would be the binding of that cord a little bit more i guess yeah yeah i have a question because sure. this culture we can make it anything the fuck we want of course and a mm-hmm. lot of these things like a lot of these times i'm thinking about like why i would do that is like me aaron my own fear of death and wanting to matter is this culture also tied to that kind of idea of like you know we want our stories to matter we want out meaning me like an ego driven kind of way of mm-hmm. like i want to have some kind of legacy or is it there is there no fear of that you know what i mean where is the where is this coming from this idea of keeping people around you know in I this think, place i think there is a, a this culture would probably have a very complicated idea with all of that because i i do think there probably still is a fear of death and passing on mm-hmm. and and i can see a lot of people like participating in these cultural rituals specifically because they are driven by that. But this culture might also look at the idea of death uh, differently, like as a process that like you live with the idea of being afraid of death and afraid of being forgotten or unloved or whatever. uh, And that processing that continues well into you being dead. Um, where, mm. you know, like the, the, the year someone dies and you bring them back, like a lot of that might just be like reassuring them. And, and, you know, you, both you as the person who died, reassuring everyone and them reassuring you. And you sort of like through this process, grow to accept death within death. Yes. Um, gosh. I like that a lot because it, it 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 asks the question about what is the mentality of when you die, if you know you're not really gone, if you have enough ties. Like, you know, you're kind of banking on everybody who's still alive, having a connection to you, wanting to bring you back, knowing you enough. But what is kind of the mentality of, you know never really being dead and you know are you kind of just at moving to the on deck circle after you die to step back <laughs> in every now and again you know you're never really dead you're kind of just moving away you know because you can come back for thanksgiving anytime you want you yeah, know yeah yeah is that kind I, of the mentality of like changing neighborhoods it makes me think of I- I think it varies because like we have people, you know, in our world who have varying relationships with with death and, and how they see it and, you know, whether or not they fear it. Yeah, it is a fascinating um, conversation. Uh, which I, I think we have like gotten to the tip of a very interesting iceberg because I adore this culture. Uh, I think... Je- uh, just for spoilers, everybody, Jeff has arrived, so we will be starting the legit episodes hey. of All My Fantasy Skyjacks very soon. But before we adjourn here, though, I do want to say I-, I talked about this as like a holiday or-, or something that happens once a year. I kind of either want to set this actually on equinoxes mm. or um, 
on mm. like new moons or full moons. I like the idea. It seems like there are so many people that you might have a relationship with. It's kind of crazy and cruel for it all to be in one day. Um, but like if this is something like that happens once a month, uh, I think it also sort of says something about grief and, and how you deal with it, which I think is very cool. Yeah. And then all I want to do is see see somebody from this place show up in the show because it's very cool <laughs> and I love it very much. Um, but yeah, uh, that that's uh, that's this. Uh, I I hope our listeners enjoyed it, and I hope they enjoy uh, the all my fantasy skyjacks that we have coming up for you. Welcome to Character Creation Cast, a show where we create and discuss characters, the best part of role playing games, with guests using their favorite systems. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Bolter. And I'm your other host, Amelia Antrim. Join us as we sit down with game designers, podcasters, and fans of games as we dive into learning about different RPGs through the lens of character creation. It's a combination of character building, player advice, game design insights, and even a little bit of fan fiction for a different game every month. We tackle a variety of new and old games, both well-known and indie-produced titles. We learn how creating characters can tell us a lot about the games themselves. Check us out today anywhere you can get podcasts or on the OneShot Podcast Network at OneShotPodcast.com. <laughs>